0: Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm Magic Brian, your host for this growing collection of interviews. In this, the 110th episode, Eric Amber journeyed from Calgary, Canada to Edinburgh, Scotland, where he caught up with the seemingly elusive dynamite. As with most interviews conducted by Eric, this one goes many places. Mike talks about starting out at 16 doing acrobatics and juggling with a partner, being a Mormon and leaving the religion... Producing the Vancouver Busker Festival, getting rid of his giant unicycle in favor of working on a silent show, the thought of quitting busking, and the power street performing has for an audience. This is just the tip of the iceberg. It was recorded at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2019. Hope you enjoy this very interesting conversation.
1: Eric? Here we are, sitting in a courtyard, the 23rd of August, behind lawn market. A, a, the lawn market on, in, in Edinburgh during the festival. And I am with... The one and only Dino Mike! I don't think I've never told you, but it's actually Dyna. Dino. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, do you, do you remember that TV show from the 1970s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dino Mike! There's, There's another Dino. Dynamike? Yes, yeah, and he's like this a
2: bearded, this, I don't know, farmer pirate or something Pokemon character. Oh. And if you go on the internet and put up Dynamike, he'll come up a few times and then you'll see me half naked, and Ian, so. All right in the inside. Alright, so you're not even the first Dynamite. Well, I, I think I actually predate that guy. There's a dynamite in Detroit, a magician. There's a dynamite selling used BMWs in Toronto. Detroit guy, there's me. There's the Pokemon guy. There's the guy with an O from the 70s or 80s or whatever it was. The first year I busked, I, I watched uh, Butterfly Man, Yeah, Robert. I saw him when, uh, in 19... 19- I believe it was 1995. No, it was 1996. It was 1996. I did my first street shows uh, a month later, or a few weeks later. Where did you see him? I saw him in Kingston. Oh, yeah. And, uh... We just standing there with a case that was very well organized, with all this stuff, in it and doing these crazy gags like the throw a throw a yeah, break a lady's uh, glasses, like uh, take the glasses, drop the lens, step on the lens by accident, trying to pick it up, and then the glasses are fine, and then uh, taking your camera and then throwing it back to her, and like getting halfway and smashing, and then taking a picture of the woman in, woman in distress with her own camera. Yeah. So I saw him, and I went back and I did a show. But I did some shows, I did shows for a season, and then I met this guy in Peterborough called Tim Holland. Who still performs he was an extraordinary juggler and unicyclist and like he's just this ultimate like health hero like he had pecs as big as like fucking grapefruits and just like a six-pack with these like fists like in in a row and he and i toured one year across canada when i met Al Kazam in 98 after saskatoon he went back east and i continued on to uh, edmonton and then vancouver and uh i needed a name and i didn't have a name so we were the two juggling fools tim and mike the juggling fool and when I went back to Ontario, I was going to see my aunt. And I remember when I drove around the corner, I was like, "Geez, I need a name." And I was a Mormon guy, so I'd be, "Oh, freak, man!" Like I was, if I was really into it, freak, man. I really need a name. And uh, <laughs> and then I felt like, like I felt like the sun, like you know, the clouds parted, and like Jesus Christ was speaking to me through the roof of the car. And I was like, Dynamite and my, I got goosebumps. <laughs>
1: really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I don't J- think that Jesus BMW gave guy, you this name. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Wow. Dynamite. So, I'm sorry, I got your name wrong.
2: No, it's cool. It's cool. A lot of people do.
1: Dynamike. Mike Dynamite loves you. Mike loves you. Well, man, your voice is really gravelly. You're, yeah. It's really gravelly because you've been, like, here for a month. Yeah, I've been here trying to make a silent show for a month and failing. <laughs> and speaking about three times more than I usually do, trying not to say anything. Isn't that the way, every time you want to do a silent show, you talk too much? Yeah. How's the silent show coming? I wake up every day and I've got these bits. And I think they're beautiful.
2: I was talking to Pepe a couple years ago. I had the, the last two years have been 85, possibly 90% nervous breakdown, you know, punctuated with these little uh, gigs that I got. Mm-hmm. So two years ago, I was like I said, I'm done busking, i got to figure something else out, and I tried a bunch of stuff that didn't work and moved to Denmark, which was which was difficult. But every once in a while I get a gig, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I really like this. Maybe I should just keep doing this because I'm good at it and I don't know how to do anything else. I was trying to learn uh, JavaScript so I could be like a good web designer, like a full they call themselves full, full-stack uh, developers, where you know how to do everything. It just keeps drawing you back. Yeah, busking does, yeah, always. keep on coming back. So um, I was telling Pepe when I was, I was trying to redeem it, like there was uh, the insight which I'm discovering now and which I'm actually implementing now, that uh, I don't want to be a unicyclist. You know, I don't want to be a 45-year-old, and no offense to any 45-year-old unicyclist. I love my unicycle, and some people still do. Jean-Michel, are you out there? Yeah, hey, there you go. But I didn't want to do it anymore. I, I saw myself doing other stuff, and I couldn't see how to make it work, and so busking wasn't working. It wasn't making me happy. It was making me unhappy. And I, was, I told uh, Pep just before I told everyone that I was out of there. I was like, I'm quitting. This is stupid. But I told Pep, I was like, Pep, I'm think about doing like a silent clown show. And he said, uh, all right. And, uh, you know, on, on his good days, Pep's uh, still pretty good. He's pretty he's pretty clever, pretty quick. And he says, all right. You want my advice? I was like, yeah. That's why I'm talking to you about it. I was like, all right. He says, uh, shut up. Keep your chin up. And never rush. And for the last month,
1: I think I've kept my chin up. But I certainly rushed. And I've talked quite a bit. My dad always said, keep your chin up. Yeah. Never never look down. Never like, it's a self-esteem thing. I think our posture our posture and our personality, they are uh, reciprocal.
2: In- intertwined. Reci- yeah, intertwined, yeah. How long have you been doing that? I met you in Edmonton, I think. Yeah, yeah, I remember. That was in 98. 98? No, no, that was in 99. It was 99 because I okay. became a missionary just after that.
1: Oh, right. You were in South Africa recently with uh, with... Exam. Yeah. And he says that uh, you got covered in shit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was doing it. So we had this one pitch, and there was a lot of
2: strife with the market people. And, um, and you know, everyone, uh, I can't comment on South African culture. I've experienced it a couple of times. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs. But there, there was strife. And so we're like, well, let's look around for another pitch. And so Alexam went and looked around for four seconds, and he was like, this is the best pitch in, like, all of Africa. Like right over here, and so we said, okay, <laughs> well, "That's like, that's Alexam." Yeah, he was right. Best pitch in South Africa. Yeah, but he was he was correct. I don't know the best in South Africa, but <laughs> it was the certainly best uh, place that we could work. And so we kind of migrated over there, following his lead. And so I was doing a show over there, and I was on my unicycle, very distraught about it inwardly. It was still sort of a self, or a subconscious uh, dilemma, my unicycle. But I was doing a show and like doing all my new dance work that nobody liked. And uh, all of a sudden, this like sewage—I don't know if it backed up or let out or some pipe burst—but at any rate, there was a sewer that started backing up with all this like shit water, and so it, it was like slowly creeping towards me. I was out like dancing for four people in the grass, and uh, shit water. Yeah, it was like shit water. And someone was, like came hey, out, and then Alec came over. He says, "You know, man, like you got to move your stuff. That shit." And there was some guy already taking my stuff, and sure enough, it was. It came down the hill and. Yeah, it, uh, in a slow flood. You got covered in shit. Yeah, now, covered in shit is a certain image. I was certainly not covered in shit. Oh, right, right But, right. like, shit water touched my equipment. <laughs>
1: you got touched by the shit of water. <laughs> yeah. but I just had that for good shit water, unfortunately. When did you start? You started, you just told us, 96? 96. 96.
2: 96. I did my first show in the summer.
1: And you started, you saw a
2: legend from the, right off the top. Yeah, right off the top. And so I went back home to Canada and started performing. I was a gymnast at the time, so I did the first thing I did was busking. I did I went and I did a street show. As well, I wasn't really wasn't really a street show. I went and I started. I took this big, uh, you know, those old chests that like, grandmas have, and they you know, like fit like twenty five blankets in there. Like, yeah, big yeah. rectangle, like sort of really she, shitty, uh, thin sheet metal on it.
1: Like yeah, the metal ones with bad padlocks.
2: Yeah, yeah, like, yes, one of those. So I took one of those and I had like. A bowling ball and three real bowling pins that my buddy Jim had stolen from his job. I had torches, but I didn't have machetes yet. And I had a roller bola and juggling balls and colored pins and uh, rings. And, uh, and you didn't know how to use it? Just- no, I, I didn't know how to use it. I, I started juggling a year earlier. But mostly it was uh, mostly it was just flips, like backhand springs and backflips and flipping off the wall and flipping out of people's hands and stuff. So I went and did these shows, and the first one was just chaos. The second one was chaos, but I made $115 the first night just running around. My buddy had a pot, and I would do, like, flips and say, everybody, check this out. And then they'd be like, oh, that's kind of cool. And i say, hey, check this out. I'm going to juggle some bowling shit. And they'd give me some money. I made 115 bucks my first day. All right. So that's and, enough to hook a guy. Yeah, I was 16. Oh, you were
0: 16.
2: Yeah, I was working at Taco Bell for, at the time, like 6.20 an hour or something. So anyway, I did that, and then it was on Wednesdays and Saturdays, so I went and I did it again Saturday. And then this uh, this Italian guy, the belly and some uh, sailing shorts, showed up. And uh, after my show, he says, hey, man, you know, uh, you're not really allowed to work here. I was like, oh, yeah, who are you? He's like, well, I run the marina. And I was like, oh, yeah, it was a Marine on Little Lake in the middle of Peterborough. Oh, okay. No one had ever done street shows there before, so I, I broke a pitch for my first show. <laughs> and so uh, I was like, oh, you know, I didn't know that. Well, tell you what. Uh, no, then he says, how much money are you making when you do this? It's like, well, I made $115 uh, last time. And he says, okay, well, listen, you give me 25% of it, and we don't have to have this conversation again. What? And so I did. I would do my shows, count it up at night, and then go back the next morning and meet this guy, whatever his name was, Boris or Dickhead or...
1: Jim, whatever his name was. Here, bro, that sounds like such an Italian thing to do. <laughs>
2: so, then after that, I did those shows, and I would go and busk uh, the bar crowds. For the next two years, that's what I did, I going and busk like, at weird times, just figuring out my stuff. I would go down to Toronto and busk uh, Spadina and Queen, the corner, not the street, like but yeah. the actual corner. And I found my way around Toronto busking for a couple of years without ever meeting another busker. I was busking Peterborough Then I went up to a second beach And did a little Ontario tour Went and busted in the Sky Dome And then got kicked out just trying to figure it out And then uh, I started doing gigs For this one lady In Peterborough Doing clown gigs At like uh, grocery stores and stuff Yeah actually So I started busking I figured out performing A little bit And I started getting these gigs For this lady named um, Mrs. Hamilton Mrs. Hamilton And she owned a store Called Costume King And so for her I would go to grocery stores I would go to uh, kids' birthday parties as Barney the dinosaur, and I would do uh, singing telegrams, really, yeah, and i was I was sixteen it was ninety six and so um I was a gymnast, so yeah you know, for a sixteen year old I had quite a um developed physique, so Mrs. Hamilton would send me on a tuxedo with no shirt on. she said, if they ask you, you tell them you are eighteen, and I would go and <laughs> sing a song give them a balloon and have to kiss the lady, and then uh, she was
0: horn yeah,
1: yeah she was horn me out yeah <laughs> as a little Mormon boy <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Mormon boys are always the best little horse. Yeah, I got, I got like a... Uh, so where did you hang out? I, I got a backup Where did you grow up? Peterborough You Peter- grew up in Peterborough? Peterborough, Ontario, yeah Oh, okay Are you still giving Tony uh, half to 25% of your money? I'm not, no uh, Yeah, whatever his name is, I don't know He might be dead I would not be surprised You give me 25% And this conversation Never happened <laughs> yeah. yeah Thanks pal. <laughs> So he made
2: 100 bucks Off me I made 400 bucks I was absolutely delighted He probably wasn't That I don't think he, It did matter to him He just wanted a piece Yeah So I did that For a few years And then in 99 Actually in 98 I met Tim I was still in high school He was in the university At Trent And we uh, We'd go to the Mormon church through The whole winter And we just practice 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 All these duo Juggling things and we had some pretty cool skills and then we just hired ourselves out wherever we could across Canada and we did this little Canadian tour which you know was sometimes like a full week like every weekend sometimes two weekends and we had bookings from uh, like late May until uh, Edmonton the end of August wow yeah we did the CCNE I met the the cow guys there we were doing five shows a day and uh Brian and uh, John came by one time. We're like, yeah, hey, man, you know, we're pretty new at this. Like, you have any advice? (laughs) They said, yeah, maybe you guys could get some more jokes. (laughs) We were just doing, like, all these wild tricks. We would do three machetes and three torches around a guy, and I was throwing them, like, I was throwing them the front, and I would knock a guy's cigarette out of his mouth with a machete, and I would never, ever do that again. Now, I I wouldn't even think about it the idea of a whip in someone's face no thank you a machete in somebody's head not a chance but okay. back then I was doing it every show we'd do it we'd do five shows a day and knock it out walking downstairs on my hands doing backflips. Tim would stand on my shoulders I would go on the roller bullet and machetes and knives but I mean that's what happens when you're young yeah that's it so then uh, that's how yeah that was the uh, late 90s that's how it happened we went to Kingston that year too I met Byron there actually in 99 met Byron that year we did Saskatoon together and then uh, Tim went home and uh I said, you know, you probably should come to Edmonton. And we were doing a duo show, which was okay. I we went to Edmonton, and I did it twice as good, and there was only one of me. And I was like, oh, this is actually, this is kind of fancy now. Like, this is
1: pretty cool. Oh, you were yeah. like, you realized, hang on.
2: Yeah, and Alakazam took me under his wing for, uh, yeah, for a while. He, uh, he helped me out quite a bit. He would, you know, He's trip. a good man at Alakazam. He is a good man. Anyway, he would trip in my ears and give me advice, and then uh, when we got to Edmonton. Yeah, I don't think I ever counted my hats I just dumped them in a bag I was delighted I had some money we got to Edmonton And uh, I went to uh, Is it the Farscona? The nice one? And the Strathcona is the shit one It smells like drugs And the Farscona is the nice one And he put a thousand bucks down in cash For ten days I was like you know You can stay with me And so I stayed with him For like one night And then unfortunately Like There wasn't room for me at the end and so I went and stayed with JP. It'd be me, Mormon, Mormon Mike, with uh, JP. And he'd wake up in the middle of the night coughing to smoke. I was sitting there and JP was in his underwear. I was like, oh God, I don't know if this is all
1: right. I called my brother and talked to him about it. And he said it was okay. I was still a Mormon, you know. You've come uh, a long way. Mm-hmm. You're like a gas, you're hard to pin down. You know, like every Is time what? I've been trying to do this interview with you for like days now, and every every time I try to like grasp you, you just kind of dissipate. Let her off into Narnia, like Byron says. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you have ADD.
0: Um, you have
2: ADD. My mom thinks that I might, and she's been delicate about saying so, but uh, maybe you're right. But now you're a smoker. I started smoking on from 1997 it was the first um, Mormon thing that I wasn't allowed to do that I did I smoked for the first time before I masturbated for the first time say that again
1: I smoked for the first time before I masturbated for the first time really yeah and I, when you, and the first time you masturbated I was that that was pretty alright yeah my brother, my brother told me how your brother taught you how no he told me how he told you how he told me over the phone I <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was in Lethbridge, as a matter of fact. How, how did that conversation go down?
2: I just left Mormonism, you know, and... Uh, oh, fuck, man, that's a good soundbite, but I don't know if it's true. Let me do the... i got to do the time math one second. Let's say this, like, maybe God is my witness. I'm not entirely sure which happened first, but they happened very close together in time, and I believe that I was smoking first. Because uh, when I left Mormonism, I would bought a house from having, in addition to performing... Um, and when you're squeaky clean Mormon, like it's easy to get gigs, right? Because you don't swear and you don't, like, you know, you don't drink or do drugs or, you know, you're not going to embarrass the producer or whatever.
1: Pro- producers love that. Yeah. They squeaky. want they want good clean acts. Yeah,
2: yeah. So anyway, so I was doing gigs, but then I was also doing speaking gigs. And in the uh, my season for speaking was you know ten solid months long of going all over Canada doing talks. I did that for six years, and uh, I bought a house in Toronto. And when I when I got divorced, I lost that house, but I had enough cash. To uh, buy another little house in Peterborough. So I got back to my hometown in total disarray. I had uh, this girlfriend who smoked, and, uh, and so I started to smoke. And I was still speaking, but then at some point I cancelled all my speaking gigs because I just couldn't figure it out anymore. I couldn't figure out what, it, like, not knowing what I was doing and telling kids, you know, nice things about life.
1: Well, what was your speaking gig like? What
2: what it was it about? It was all about being nice. So I'd do like fifteen minutes of like busking show, and so the kids would really like me. And I would tell stories about being nice and like you know, sort of like the peppy Mormon sort of uh, squeaky clean but funny and self effacing. You know, that's the Mormon style of public speaking. I would do that without Jesus or God or anything, and uh, it was very well received. It was helpful. We'd talk about issues that were like. You know, I was a stranger that would walk in and talk about issues that, you know, everyone experiences, like in the school, but without any judgment, without any specifics. It's like a pep talk. It's like, you know, a morale booster. Specifically, what does it do? I don't know. But generally, what does it do? It changes the color of the school for a little while.
1: That informs a little bit about who you are, because your your act is still a bit like that. Yeah. Yeah. You want people to, your act seems to me like, hey, let's all have fun. We're all friends here, you know. Yeah,
2: we're all together here, too. That's nice. You know, people don't always gather together in groups and clap and cheer and smile. And whatever they do, it's significant. I think it's historically significant. It's certainly physically real. You know, in terms of all the abstractions that we spend our time thinking about and you know pursuing and things, you know, money and politics and stature and status and all that. I think that's very. I think that to me is the thrust of performing. If you succeed at getting people to come together, go, yay! You win. Yeah, you know, steal all of Tonys lines. You know I can copy all the stuff That everyone claims As their own You get people to do that That's the thing that matters All the other stuff is secondhand nonsense
1: No I mean I I got a high off of it For sure Street performing I loved it Yeah Oh you guys were wonderful And you guys were hysterical We were also bad boys Yeah but it was funny Fucking hell I kind of regret it A little bit Because I got a reputation For being an asshole And I, Mm. I, I Deep down inside I don't really want To be an asshole No
2: talk about that for a sec but um but first though do you remember the time that we were busking canada day it was you and derek north was already gone i think north was gone before we ever met he was yeah he was yeah but uh it was you and him you're doing the duo saran wrap and you had these two inflatable hammers and before that you were doing your draw doing like um like a common session like and you were just like saying some political uh like some political pundit thing and then you did each other with the big inflatable hammer do you remember this no i don't okay well it was was wonderful that would have been uh, after I was a missionary when I started busking again 2002 yeah July of 2002 Canada Day Spark Street at the you know Bank Street or Metcalf or one of those oh Ottawa yeah yeah yeah, yeah. right and just busking on the street yeah yeah and then um, I had this little hip bank and I was putting all my money in it and um and I was, I was super delighted. I'd come back from my mission. I thought I wasn't going to ever perform again because now was like a clean, like, true, like, straight and narrow. Yeah, I was on the straight and narrow path. That's the Mormon, like, way of life. So I was on the straight and narrow path, and I wasn't supposed to deviate and jump back into busking. I did. I started speaking, and then the summer came, and I went and I did this. And I, I did, like, 700 bucks that day after not busking for two years and being a Mormon missionary in between. So it was all right. Like, it's not great, but it's, it's fine. So uh, but you guys were there doing that, and then... Uh, I had this um, one of those rectangle receivers, Samson. Yeah. Right. The one with the behind the head thing, and then like the little radio tower box. And I had a lead acid battery, which I didn't cover the nodes on, and so I threw it into my bag. And at one point, you'd come up to me in the day, you're like, "Hey, uh, Dynamite, um, your uh, your bag is smoking. I think it's on fire." <laughs> and the, all the shrapnel had uh, gathered around the nodes and completed the circuit, and my bag was actually like, on fire, melting, and oh my god, yeah. We got, it, we got it quick enough where nothing actually, you know, nothing was destroyed. No money was lost. But it was funny.
1: You're always on fire. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. It's been a long journey since then. Yeah. Fuck, it's been, that was 20 years ago. 18 years ago. Yeah, Almost I, 20 years ago. That was yeah, 20 I was, years ago. Almost, yeah. And you've been doing it ever since. Yeah. You're a veteran. I'm a veteran at busking. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. And now you're, I mean, you're in Europe now. You gave up on Canada a little bit.
2: Yeah, I did uh, did the Busker Fest in Vancouver. Fucking hell. Like, there are many ways to skin a cat. I'm sure there's many ways to skin yourself. And uh, doing the Busker Fest was not the most enjoyable of uh, of those. Well, being a producer is a tough job. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's not. Actually, I'm not sure that's not always. I imagine it always is. You know, a lot of people, a lot of stakeholders, a lot of issues and mandates and... Personalities. Personalities, yeah. It was tough. Way, 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 way tougher than I expected. And, uh, yeah, I was a little heartbroken when that thing didn't proceed. Yeah, I started coming to Europe. My first gig in Europe was in 2004. I went to Holland, like, basically right after my honeymoon. I got married in May of 2004. Then me and my wife went together with Byron to uh, Rotterdam, the Rotterdam Fest. I met all sorts of Europeans who I've seen since, but then I went back to Canada and didn't come again for quite a while. Not for uh, five years.
1: How old were you when you started the festival? I started the festival in uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, around. So I was so 32. You were in your 30s. Yeah. So I started Theatre St. Catherine when I was 31. I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to start a theatre. Yeah. And it's not about me, but I feel like that was too soon yeah. to start, like, a major yeah. business. You know? I should have, like, stayed in comedy. You know? If, yeah. I, if I had just stayed in comedy, maybe, like, gotten to stand-up. Because running a business at that age, it was too soon for me to, like, yeah. commit to that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh if I had been in my 40s and I had done lots and then I was ready to settle down like I am now because now I got a kid I got a family I mean I love being I love my family I love being a dad and I'm happy to stay in one place yeah yeah but when I was in my early 30s and I started a business yeah I still longed for the for the road yeah yeah and you don't now not necessarily anymore but at that time I longed for it yeah and I and being a, a a venue manager I didn't get to perform anymore Yeah, yeah I was a janitor Yeah, yeah I see, I see uh, Sparky Mark doing that With his uh, com-
2: with his comedy thing And that guy Yeah, fuck I have so much love for that guy And so, so, so much respect Like he, That guy is a force of nature He puts his eye on something And like, like Come hell or high water Or like You know Needy friends Like watch out I'm on my way So much love and respect for him when I go there I see that too I see I, he does the emceeing and when he's emceeing it's like he's glowing you know he's like just he's just this glow ball and he's so funny so naturally funny and then he you know they to do a bunch of paperwork man send a bunch of emails what a bummer
1: but that guy thrives in that he, yeah he thrives in that environment well he's he's definitely very good at it you know yeah he's very very good at it even though he says he's a socialist he's a natural born businessman <laughs> yes I'll tell you some stories after the interview. <laughs> so, tw- after twenty years, but you, like you said, you want to start to do a silent act. That means you're not done. No, I'm not done. In a way, I feel like I'm just beginning. I spent the last, you know, since Mormonism, like I've,
2: you know, a big splash sends out those little ripples. But those little ripples, like if you take a photograph of them, there's one here, and then there's a trough, and then there's one here, and there's a trough, and there's one here, and there's a trough. Like my departure from Mormonism, and. My family's experience with Mormonism, which, like, before I was even born, like, those waves, like, they're slowing down, but they're significant. And when they come up, they, they come with a force. So when I first left Mormonism, the shock of that impossible transition was, you know, it was explosive. My life just, it wasn't like it disintegrated, but it was ripped apart. There was these two almost di- diametrically opposed forces. One was freedom, and one was, like a very ephemeral but very desirable sort of security like spiritual security
1: if I can interject for a moment I think you're a good person
2: yeah I think I'm a good person too I think I'm yeah I think uh,
1: and I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass thanks I'm saying that you're a good person so I think the the foundations of whatever that was yeah was was good for you yeah.
2: yeah in ways yeah Mormonism yeah yeah I got out of it by performing. I got out of Mormonism by performing. And I got out of that hardship by performing. And, um, yeah, after, after that, I, like, I left Canada coming here. I'll go back and do the festival in the in the winters. But I was coming here and performing all the time and then going back and, yeah, you know, trying to fulfill some sort of, you know, God-given, like, mission to do something super significant in the world. with the festival was the biggest thing that I could see myself enjoying. The biggest... And, and best in terms of, like, doing doing good for the world. Like, two years ago, yeah, two years ago, when uh, I was getting older, I didn't I didn't really like the picture of my life, you know? Like, I can imagine myself 40 years looking back, and if the same photographs appear, the same ones that populated in my Facebook for, you know, five years, me, a crowd, a unicycle, my underwear, you know? Then I would be like, oh, you know, maybe I should have made a change. So trying to make that change was also challenging because I didn't know what to do. So I realized... It used to happen that I would get stressed out, wanting to do more with my life, and I would go and I would busk, and the stress would dissipate, like, even if I was stretching before I got on stage, or on the pitch, whatever. So I'd be on the side, the guys wrapping up, I'd start getting excited, I'd go out there, and like, bang, 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 bang a lot of power. And then it started to happen over two, over the last two years, and leading up until, until now. I would go out and perform, and that feeling wouldn't come, and then it would show up, like, sort of towards the end of the show. And then it happened where I just didn't come in the show, and I'd be going through all my fucking grief and big questions and no answers and doing all that and, you know, these screaming voices in my head and uh, telling my jokes while well, that's going on. It was pretty It was pretty weird. I remember flying Bob. I overheard him tell someone that he was walking backwards on his tightrope and trying to figure out how to get uh, how to do something with his taxes. I remember, he remembers <laughs> that. He was like walking backwards, like, oh, yeah, but if I put this over in that account, then I can go here, and she can take that, and, you know, 25%. <laughs> I was walking on tightrope backwards, and that was happening in my shows, and uh, but the, it was madness. It wasn't tax work; it was just madness. Long story short, two years later, I realized that uh, I was thinking about getting rid of my unicycle, and it was just this quiet thought. But it was the inside of me saying, "Hey, I want to be free, and I do not want to ride that fucking rolling stick like just another like one in a million show ponies. You know, like I don't I don't want to do one of a million show ponies. I don't want to do that." But it was just. Like the little me in some back cavern in my soul saying, I want to be fucking creative and I want to do it now. Like, get rid of that unicycle and let's go. And it took me a long time to do that because I had this addiction where I needed, I remembered I'd go out and have my unicycle show and I had those big feelings right at the start. So now um, I got rid of my unicycle and I've been doing gigs. I've always been doing gigs. Even if I'm not busking, a gig comes up here and there, so I do it. And um, this, uh, this summer, after Kingston I just stopped using my unicycle and did a couple festivals without it and just making up new material and uh, I'm waking up at like 4 and 5 in the morning like just itching to write ideas down you
1: know and then come here and try them and I haven't felt like that forever well you're strong enough now that you you don't need you can go up there without a thing a little bit of sass a little bit of sass
2: a little bit of courage it is easy now it's easy now when I get myself out of it like I let myself have fun it's pretty easy to have fun you know, thank God. You know, with my unicycle, it was impossible because it was twenty minutes at least. If I wanted to do it well, twenty-five minutes of you guys over here just standing like this, do this. I'll go up here. You know, oh, I get camera, it area. now. I get it. Any time, you were like, like I got to get rid of the unicycle. It's like why? Because it's twenty-five minutes. It's twenty-five minutes. There's no time. You know what do you want to do? Like I can be creative in it. Like walk by lines. But you know when you do a show, and here's how I think it works. There's a general. Uh, general, like, uh, social static, like, uh, social potential, and it's disorganized. Like, go into a crowd anywhere, people will be talking about a thousand different things, shoot a gun, and everyone's running for the same door. Right? And it's powerful. And it's all there, you know, distributed in this sort of static. But then when you go as a performer, and you start sort of sending this little signal that people start to um, orient towards, and the more people that orient towards it, the stronger that the pulse is. It's not because you're stronger or I'm stronger, but it's because... You know, now you're amplified by 20 watching eyes or listening ears, right? But then that 20 becomes 100, as everyone knows, and then it becomes 200. And then there's this thing, I think, that happens where there's um, enough social potential where you reach some sort of social threshold, and then it clicks. And then the personalities of the audience sort of uh, recede as the... Not the personality, but as the the crowd itself becomes... not, not the focus But the crowd itself Becomes this entity Into itself Right
1: Monster like, Yeah It's Keith, a monster Yeah Co- Keith Johnstone uh, Famous improv teacher Yeah Called it a monster mm. If you can unify The audience Yeah They're like a monster
2: I call it a friendly dog Sure It's right. certainly not a person Like when you listen To a crowd Those sounds They're like baby sounds Like oh, 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 uh, ooh, Oh You know Those are baby sounds Like So maybe smarter Than a, a friendly dog But I always think of it As a friendly dog
1: yeah. Well, I, when I say monster, I don't necessarily mean like a bad monster.
2: Oh, maybe it's like one of the monster ink monsters, like the blue one. Yeah, or yeah. that one with the one eye, Mike. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's an entity. Yeah, an entity. Yeah. Let's
1: go with monster. Let's go as yeah, a friendly monster. Yeah. A friendly monster. Yeah. And if you can, if you can harness that monster. Yeah. And carry them along with you. Yeah. You know, you, magic can happen. Oh yeah, and
2: I like. The thing I'm realizing most is that it's only when that happens that the magic can happen. Like, you know, for me to lift up your finger with my own hand would be pretty easy, right? But if there's 400 people, even that is an impossible task, right? Like, if, But if you can just go, hey, everybody, look at that and point. Hey, everybody, I use the joke sometimes, like, everybody, hey, uh, everyone, look at this guy. Hey, everybody, point at him, right? If some guy's looking at his cell phone, everybody point at him. And then he looks up and there's all these people pointing at him. You know, it's funny, but if I had to actually go and somehow lift all those fingers up, you know, it's like... Five hundred pounds, or three hundred pounds, or you know something significant. Or no, actually, a lower arm may weigh you know ten pounds times 300. You know, that's three hundred. Yeah, it's three thousand pounds, as much as like a car. You know, so it's we don't have the power. Like we lead it, like we direct it, right? Like the same way that a little jockey rides a huge ass horse, right? We lead it and we direct it, but the power itself is actually the humans, like the people. That's
1: what I street performers. How do you use the power? How do you, as it? a street performer, you have the power now? Yeah, yeah. How do you use that power, for good or for ill? So the other day
2: at the lockup, there was a young guy talking about um, how he's a bit frustrated with himself because he's really trying to work this message into his show. And um, what was his message? Well, we didn't get that far because uh, I really believe the thing like when you get agitated at someone else, it's just like basic projection. You know, and I found myself agitated, like at the conversation we had, and uh, I was trying to persuade him that, you know, you don't you don't need a message, like, and in fact, like, what business do you have trying to tell a whole bunch of people anything about how they're supposed to live, right? How much do you know about your crowd? Or, hey, look, this guy's wearing a leather jacket, you know, like he should be wearing denim. What do you know, right? You know, hey, this lady, like, hey, she's got stupid shoes on, like, you don't know, I don't know, nobody knows, right? So, um, well, they are pretty stupid. But I think ultimately we, We don't Like I think it's Mission accomplished Like the first time There's some old guy And some little girl In the same crowd You know opposite each other And there's like some black kid And some Asian mother And you know A grandma from the Middle East somewhere And there's some Greek have you know, family and you know a couple twins from the middle of, or I just a couple of twins from South America somewhere. As soon as you have all these people together, they go yay. As soon as they do it once, even if your show sucks and no one likes any more of your jokes, if they all go like this yay, it's already mission accomplished. And the rest is just like an added gift. So how do we use it for good? I think that I think that uh, the whole principle of good is, arose from humans. I think humanity itself, like the whole essence of humanity, is goodness. And so all we have to do is activate humanity. And there's a lot of latent power in people, you know. So when people clap and they smile, you've already done more good than you'll ever be able to recognize, you know. The same way it's hard to lift up their fingers. You put them clapping together, you make a smile on their face. That
1: amount of good is probably weighs 4,000 pounds. Yeah. You know? And if you do it 10,000 times in a lifetime. Yeah. I figure I've done about 5,200 shows. Wow. So you're halfway. Yeah. I think Gaz has done 75 million. He told me. Gazzo has done 75 million shows. Yeah, he told me that yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't really. I'm just making that up.
2: I would believe it. I I think he's probably done 20,000. think Maybe, maybe 30. Yeah. Because every one of my shows at every festival I've been to, he's done at least three. And I'm working hard. Like, even if I do four shows a day, he might do
1: do four shows a day. He might do eight. So if he's done 20,000 shows, he's made at least... Five thousand kids crying. (laughs) Yeah, you know making
2: kids cry. I saw a kid cry the other day in a a artist I very much respect show, and he just worked it great. Yeah, another artist today who was having conflict with another artist said something about like, "Hey, listen, if you want to if you want to say that, then just commit to it." It took about six months to make to finally make the resolution to finally lead Mormonism when it became clear to me that I wanted to, in an irrepressible way. And um, there there's many times where it became clear that I wanted to, and one of them was in university at a cultural studies course with this uh, teacher called Jonathan. Yeah, talking about the role of artists in society. We were watching all these weird movies and reading weird texts. I said, "So, Jonathan, like, just so you just like parse it down to the like bare essentials. What does it take to be an, art- an artist?" And he said, uh, "I think honesty and bravery." And then I was like, I would rather do that than be a Mormon forever. You know, be honest and brave and go out and make some nonsense.
1: Normally these um, interviews happen someplace quiet, but because we're at the festival, the ambient noise doesn't really bother me. Um, I, I think it kind of lends a bit, because we're at the Edinburgh Festival, right? There's a, We're sitting behind a block of flats uh, in, a, in a medieval town, and no. just, just, you know, over there... There's about 10,000 tourists Freaking out Freaking out You want to hear my dream show? A dream show Okay,
2: first I'll let you know We saw Rumpel yesterday think and still Yeah When I first met him Our first gig together Was in, uh In Macedonia We were walking around At 3 in the morning Wandering up 200 meters Up a hill to go to our hostel And, uh Rumpel stopped me and said, would you take a picture of me? And like two hours later, we had taken 300 photographs of this guy like in six different poses and six different angles of every, every single landmark that could possibly be construed as a landmark, like including like uh, signs of fire hydrants. That guy's been to every country in the world. He's pretty cool. He's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, he told me, one night that he says, Mike, I figured out my new show. I was like, what's that? So he's going to get a chicken, and the chicken's going to run and jump through a hoop forwards, and then he's going to make the chicken run backwards through the hoop, and, or backwards and jump through the hoop backwards. And then uh, he says, do you want to know what my grand finale is? I say, like, what's that? He says, then I'm going to take over the universe. <laughs> that was the show. I think he's, he's on his way. Yeah. For me, what I want to do, I've got this box now. Without a unicycle, oh, my box is a joy. It's bigger than everybody else's box, but it's just... It's just so wonderful to push that thing around. I think this is possible, and I'm going to university in the fall, and I think I'll be able to find some sort of robotics teacher to make this happen. But I want to open the box, and then this drone flies out with a little statue of Jesus on top and a couple little lights, and then it hovers in the air about, like, 25 feet. And I want to do my really, like, high throw machete, like, uh, showers, and aim at it, like, and actually try to hit it. Because I saw it on YouTube where this guy explained the, the mechanics of it and the computation of it. And um, those things um, with with two cameras and this one little like a radar, like the uh, effect is what a radar thing is to radar, but it's to these cameras, these little balls. It um, calculates its position and trajectory 60 times a second. So if I throw a machete at it with one of those little balls on the on the t- on the end, it'll. Be able to like measure it coming sixty times a second and adjust its trajectory sixty times a second, and so go up and have Jesus and like zing it around in a circle and then throw machetes at it and it just keeps on dodging them. <laughs> like you cannot fuck with the Christ. <laughs> that's what I want to do. But anyway, for the future, uh, did you did you ask me about the future?
1: I did not ask you about the future, but let's talk about the future. Okay, what were we talking about there? What was I supposed to tell you? But I, any Dynamite interview. Without losing your train of thought, wouldn't be a proper interview. Maybe not. No, what I asked you was if you're happy. Oh uh, yeah. Because you know, I I have a daughter now. Yeah. And a partner that I love. Yeah. And I'm happy. And I, there was some there was some there was some tough years emotionally. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I was like, who the fuck am I, and what am I doing? Yeah. And I know this interview is not about me, but. In improv, one of the things that we were taught was, like, dare to fail. Yeah. You know, dare to fail. And I failed a lot. Yeah. And, but after many years, that all that failure started to weigh me down. Yeah. I felt like a failure. I see all these street performers succeed. Ooh. They succeed show after show after show. And they like, sometimes they feel like they failed, but they succeeded at doing a show. And I, yeah. know, I feel like I was a failure. You know,
2: success is... I think success is a word like judgment, words that we should never use. You know, artists, too. Yeah, those have got to be processes. You know, like, you know, reason stops when you make a judgment, right? You, you stop inquiring. You know, with success, like, does ambition stop? What is success? Like, you're cooler than everyone, or you're cool enough now, or, like, what is that? Like, life goes on right until the very last second. And I, I believe in, you know, weird ephemeral ways it continues. Yeah, yeah forever.
1: You're a philosopher performer. Oh God,
2: I don't know, philosopher's not one of those words Performer's all right Performer, yeah, yeah, I certainly do perform But, um, yeah, I am happy, for sure And I've gone through that slog too, man Like, I felt like a total fucking aspect, Waste of space, you know, waste of skin What's going on? Hey, my name's Dynamite, fucking don't waste your time, see ya For years, you know, for years on and off And then for years continually Yeah, happy now, happy now, I feel happy now a way I feel is more secure For actually having, you know, gone through the darkness And come out the other side
1: So you're you're in your prime I'm a bit chubby eh? Yeah (laughs) I'm a bit bit chubby I didn't say you were chubby I said you were in your prime Yeah but I was just Letting you know That I actually am a bit chubby So if I could uh, You're not like
2: So Mrs. Hamilton Wouldn't be uh, Mrs. Hamilton would be Whoring me out anyway (laughs) Telling me to change my age Yeah I think she's probably dead And she was a nice woman I hope she's not dead But I'm sure she is happy yeah so I wanna, but I want to do more stuff and um, but street performing is not going to be the end it's not the end no but you might- street performing busking what are like again words we should never use like reason stops when like when we use these simple words like love which actually like yeah you know, simply indicate these extraordinary processes which are as diverse as they are dynamic, you know? Like, they're, they're cheap words, but... I guess they're useful. But busking is a cheap word, you know? It's not a legal category of any kind. People say, no busking. And it's like, well, what are you talking about? Does that mean no dancing? I've got a harmonica here, and I want to show this kid a song i learned. Can I do that? What if he gives me a quarter? What's going on? Like, what is busking? You know? What's that? all? What is it? You know? And performing, what's that, you know? But, uh... Yeah, like... I think forming outside matters. You know, we look up and, like, there's a very few things that we share as humanity, but the sky is one of them. You know, the the whole world spins and sees the same moon. You know, we see the same stars. They're in different places, and you know, actually half the planet doesn't see all the same, but you know <laughs> what I mean. We see the same sky. We certainly see the same moon and the same sun, and we share that. So you go inside, and everywhere you go inside, there's, like, it's like everywhere inside is a religion. You know, you go to one person's house, and it's like, oh, we don't put our shoes at that part of the house. We go over here. It's like, oh, well, and you always do that and they're like yeah we always do that so okay well I'll do that when I'm here go to some other guys house like hey we don't watch TV on Thursdays and we play Scrabble I was like okay and that's all the time happening you go in any place any theater even anytime you're inside inside that encapsulated from the common thing of the sky and the earth you know it's there's these rules and things but you go outside and it's all free and it's ageless too you know clocks are on walls they're sometimes on churches and towers but the clouds like the moon is a better clock than a clock and it's for everybody so performing outside like yeah, I'd like to go perform on a mountain, go perform on a hill, I'd like to go perform in a river valley and on a whole bunch of fucking streets, sure. Yeah. So I'm not done with busking, but I think of it in a much broader, much bigger way. And when I think about producing in the future, I think about producing as like a much, much bigger expression of busking. The same principles, like, you know, social static, pull it together, it starts to assemble, it, it, it creates mass, and when it does, it reaches a threshold, and that threshold being surpassed is again like a big fucking monster, like that one eyed fucking Cyclops, you know, Green Mike from uh, Monsters Inc. And there's a whole city that's like resonating with this power, and it's not us, it's them, you know, but instigating that is quite powerful. And so when I, when I think of busking, because all I've ever done, all I've ever done that I've been good at, speaking to but it was busking inside, it's the same thing. But, yeah, busking and, like, instigating these latent potentials that exist in a world which is full of social opportunity, I think is really cool. So I want to do it with my weird fucking sassy dance work. Got Donald Trump masks. I figured out my Donald Trump mask bit. <laughs> just so happened I have a whole bunch of masks. I went and got them laminated because they are getting folded up in all my garbage in my box. Because it's disorganized, right? I've got all these toys. I'm not doing all the bits. And so they're all just in there. So I've been slowly taking them out and only keeping what I want. And I found a second Donald Trump mask. And so I've got the song "Bad Boys, Bad Boys." And Donald Trump comes out with a whip, and he's trying to whip out this candle, which is um, on a, on the earth. So there's an earth and a candle. And every time he does it, it's, it's actually quite hard to flick out a candle with a whip without knocking over the candle. Yeah. You gotta hit kind of beside it, and you gotta hit it hard enough where like the puff is significant. You know. The, s- the snap. <clears throat> yeah. So you gotta be right beside it. Anyway, and then when he does, it, he goes. <laughs> then I get a volunteer. And he does, you know, like the whole get the whip thing and then, you know, that in front of him in a seductive pose. But then um, something's not going to be right about the photograph, right? And so, like, there are a few photographs where Donald Trump is hugging the volunteer and then picking up the volunteer and then whipping the volunteer. Um, but then I realized, oh, it's going to be two Donald Trumps. I figured it out. That'll be very funny on the street in about six years when I figure <laughs> out how to finally <laughs> muster up the courage. To well, use, so You've heard like, it here, folks. That show is coming. <laughs> yeah, it's coming sometime in the indeterminate future if I don't die first. Well, we have to go see a show ourselves. We do. So let's wrap Paul it up. Paul Curie. Anybody. Anybody in the world, if you had an
1: opportunity to see Paul Curie, go and see him. Well, you know, this was, this was uh, a lot of fun. And I'm glad I uh, had a chance to sit down and chat with you. Me too, buddy. That was Cause, great. Because you're a hard man to get a hold of. You are hard to get a hold of, too. I've been calling you for months, and you're just like, I've got a baby, and I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> Dynamite. mike loves you. Well, hallelujah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I told the guy
2: today in my show, it's like, um, everybody, um, okay, pop quiz. What would Jesus look like if he came back as a German backpacker, but he shaved his beard? <laughs> I said, sir, would you mind raising your hand? <laughs> and, uh, would you mind coming over here? And he came over and said, everyone, big, big clap and cheer, Lord God, Jesus, Jehovah, Lord God of the No, Alpha and Omega, Lord God, Jesus Christ uh, of the ages. Uh, and he came over and I shook his hand and uh, we did a little prayer
1: thing and they left and it was 13% of the crowd thought it was 37% enjoyable so when you go to Salt Lake City and uh, you see the temple there do you think great pitch? there's a there's a one day festival in Salt Lake which is either happening last weekend or next
2: weekend or this weekend Um, there was a guy here from Hawaii who left here to go there Um, I don't think uh, I don't have any plans to go back to Salt Lake City and I wish those people like good luck Hell, good luck boys and girls and kids if you want to get the hell out of there there is a beautiful world get the fuck out of there fuck.
1: there is a beautiful world yeah and it's full of weirdos like us
2: yeah we're nice weirdos though you know like the world's weird you know we we exist like the big bang wasn't uniform in like the first instance of its uh whatever it was whatever happened like from the very, very beginning It wasn't uniform There was, like, irregularity in it And that irregularity is coursing out through time At all sizes and directions And, like, every parameter that, that we can conceive of There's a little bit of chaos in it From from the very beginning Resonant chaos from the very beginning And uh, the weirdos are honest And we're honest and true And because, uh, you know, there is no final answer there is no There is no big, like, ta-da Here's what it's all about it's, it's just rippling through time and it's it's pretty organized, but it's it's like a little bit entropic just from the very beginning. It's, it's all sort of, you know, it doesn't all quite fit together. So good for us being weird. Good for us being weird. Yeah.
1: Well, let's leave it at that. Let's
2: leave it at that. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, thanks, buddy. That was cool.
0: Yes, Thank you. good for us being weird. Somebody's got to do it and bring it to the people. As I've mentioned, this podcast is a labor of love, but we do need sponsorship to keep it going. So if you'd like to become a sponsor of the podcast, contact me at magic at buskerhalloffame.com. You can also visit the Busker Hall of Fame website and throw a little love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button. Or become a sustaining supporter of this project at patreon.com forward slash stories. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help grow this resource and generate more content. Thanks in advance for supporting this project and helping keep busking history alive. Music for this podcast came from 357 Lover. Links to both songs are available in the notes section of this episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend about it and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. If you'd like someone to be interviewed or feel a certain voice has not been heard, please reach out to me and let me know. We're doing our best to capture interviews and stories with as many performers as we possibly can. So on behalf of myself, Kim Potter, who wrangled the interview into a cohesive conversation, Eric Amber, who captured it, and the rest of the team of the Busker Hall of Fame, remember, if you can't laugh at yourself, find someone else and laugh at them. I'm Magic Brian, and thanks for listening. Say that again.
2: Shut up. Keep your chin up. Never rush. That's good advice. Yeah. For anybody. Yeah. For anything. For anything, yeah. No.